verse 9. Go ahead and take your chairs. And it reads there, the fear of the Lord is pure. In Exodus 18.21, Moses was trying to establish his administration. And he was working a little too hard for himself. And he was giving advice. And it said there, if you're gonna, you need to pick men to help you. And the criteria there in Exodus 18.21 reads, select capable men from all the people, men who fear God. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And I ask, Lord, that you would raise up courageous people. People willing to go out into the deep with you, Lord. Not just a mere experience of a coming to church, but they understand that church is a, a preparing place, a place where we, we learn, we, we joggle our intellect, we, we stir up our spirit to prepare us to do something for you. And God, I ask that we would be those people of action, that we would touch the world, change lives, we would have meaning to our ministry and that we would have meaning as a people. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I started last week about fear and I used the example of, of being afraid of the dark. Um, remember when you, like, when you were a kid and the lights were off and you thought the monster was in the closet? And then I, I, I emphasize that the way you got over that fear is somebody turned the light on. And you realize that that wasn't a monster in the closet. It was your sweater hanging up right there, right? Uh, once the light came on, the monster was no longer frightening. But what it represented was fear. And fear, although we don't like to feel fear, it's not an enjoyable feeling. Fear put in the proper place is what moves people into action. Untamed fear, on the other side, uh, will ruin uh, and can also stun you into inaction. So it's the way we manage the fear that we're going to face. No matter how much you try to hide, the very act of hiding means you're afraid. So fear is, is a common denominator for, for us all. I was reminded of a story. It was a hospital administrator. He was walking the, down the aisle and... The come a patient, boom, he had his garment on and it was flinging and he was, had no clothes on underneath and he's taken off and the, the administrator stopped, hold, 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 hold. Um, can you mind telling me why you, you ran out of the operating room? Patient looked at him and he was terrified, his eyes were real big and he said, it's because of what the nurse said. He go, well, what did the nurse say? Well, the nurse said, uh, yeah, well, she said, be brave. It's, it's an appendectomy and it's quite simple. The minister replied, and he said, well, well, it is. It's, it's a very easy uh, operation. It is quite simple. Wouldn't that comfort you? The patient said, the nurse wasn't talking to me. She was talking to the doctor. <laughs> fear. Fear will move you. Properly placed fear will, mo will move you to be a godly person. Right? So 
how do we face our fears? That, that, that's what I want to look at. We talked about, uh, first you have to find a different perspective of how you look, look at it. See, what we see as failure, I'm going to get really into that, in fact, may just be God shaping you, changing you, molding you. So you have to look, have a different perspective. Second, you have to engage your problem-solving skills. We have to have that ability to begin to really discern and ask the Spirit of God to discern what is really happening. Instead of letting the fear dominate you, then we, we fail to think. The, the, fourth, the third thing we talked about last week was ask somebody for help. There's always somebody who's went through what you're going through right now. But you'll, you won't know that unless you begin to ask, I need help. And lastly, we, we talked about resist the temptation to give up. Because that's what people tend to do. They just give up. Or, or they change location. They think it'll be better. You know, I got to move because the grass is greener over there. And the grass is never greener over there. The grass is only green where you water it. So ta Paul is talking to his young disciple there, 2 Timothy chapter 2. And he tells Timothy, look, Timothy, endure hardships with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So the implication for all of us is you're going to have to go through it. You're going to have to endure it. You're going to have to face it. You may stick your, hand in the, your head in the sand to hide it for a while, but eventually you're going to have to come up for air. And you're going to have to face it. So if you look at fear, uh, somebody once said, uh, when you, you fear that the worst will happen, your own thoughts may help bring it about. You put yourself in a trap. Someone, someone else wrote, Fear is the wrong use of imagination. It anticipates the worst, not the best that can happen. Fear. So when I look at fear, I, I see it in one way. Fear is a spirit. It, it, it's, although it, it affects our emotion, but the fear I'm talking about is a spirit. And that spirit can do one of two things. It could possess you. Or oppress you. And those who do not understand fear that it is a needed commodity, it is in fact your friend, tend to run from something that may want to help you. So fear is an unpleasant, strong emotion, you know, dread, panic, terror, anxiety. Proverbs 29, 5 reads, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts the Lord is kept safe. Jesus recognized and rebuked us for our ability to deal with fear. Why? Because fear is what stops you to, from, from succeeding. Fear uh, separates those who are willing to take a risk and those who are not willing to take a risk. And believe me, there's not one risk taker, or let me say like this, there's not one person who has not succeeded that didn't take many risks. Why? Because they did not allow the fear to dictate their moves. In Matthew 28, I mean rather Matthew 8, 22, we can all turn there if you like. In verse 22, it says there, Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. 
Without warning, a furious storm came upon the lake, so the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was calm, completely calm. Now, when you read that, I'm thinking about this, but you have to see what, what, what brought the disciples to that point. Now, if you go back, Jesus is on a mission to create 12 men, to, to strengthen 12 men that would lead his ministry when he was no longer present. That, that was his plan. That was, he was strategy. And so he has to deal with these men. He goes, I got to get these guys ready because I'm leaving. I'm going to die. I told them I'm going to die, but they didn't listen. They don't believe me, but I got to get them ready. So in that scripture, he says, he tells these people, follow me, let the dead bury dead, but you got to go back. So he's got these guys, and in, in the previous verses in 18 to 22, there was a great crowd of people around Jesus. And he gave orders to go to the other side. He says, you guys, get in and go to the other side. And then when he said that, he said it to his disciples. And we know 12 men got in the boat. But there's a couple of guys that didn't get in the boat that were offered the same opportunity as the disciples, which is interesting. I go, well, check this out. A guy right here says, teacher, in verse uh, 19, he goes, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. He had just said, get in the boat. Well, after this, he goes, you know, get in the boat. But he goes, I'll follow you wherever you go. And then Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So he's looking for people. It's like, 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 um, uh, wasn't a good strategy to, to recruit. He tried to scare him away. I'll go. He goes, you'll have nowhere to live. You have nowhere to stay. The guy goes, oh, maybe I won't go. Right? If you were there, oh, wait a minute. Go where? The next guy goes, and, and right, it happens here, go, well, well, another man, disciple said, and said, another disciple, quote unquote, said to him, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And you would think, Jesus, oh, okay, go ahead, go ahead, bury your dad. He goes, let the dead bury the dead. Follow me. He said, let the dead bury the dead. And then after, then we come into verse 22, but Jesus said, follow me, let the bed bury the dead bury the dead. Then he got into the boat with the disciples. So you imagine there's 12 of them, the 12 we know about, got in. The one said, I'll follow you, but he got scared because foxes and holes and I, I, need, you know, I need a house, I need a crib, I need, a, I need all these things. I, I, I'll catch you when you get back from the boat trip. The other one said, well, Jesus, I, I could go with you, but I got to go bury my dad. He goes, well, let the bed dead bury the dead. The rest of the disciples got in the boat. Now you would think they did the great thing, right? Like, wow, that's so wonderful. Look what they did. As soon as they got in the boat, we're following Jesus. How many following Jesus? This is what happens if you want to be a disciple. Once you say, I want to follow Jesus, it's time to scare the hell out of you. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Because you're, you've been in the world so long, there's so much hell in you, you've got, to, you've got to get scared out of you. Right. See, Jesus said, I've got to raise up disciples. So he puts them in the boat, and he doesn't put them, you know, send them to Honolulu. No, no, no. He sends them on the boat. And he allows a storm to come. 
The moment you say, God, I'm going to be a disciple, I'm not talking about this religiosity where I've said the word, Jesus, come into my heart and change me. No, 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 no. Everybody says that it doesn't mean nothing. When that means something is when you go through hell and you say, yes, Lord. When it means something and when you're in the storm and about to die, Jesus, don't you care about me? You would say, man, I chose to follow you, Jesus. Why are you putting me in this boat? I, I, I thought you were going to lead us, and we were going to conquer the world together, and you got me in the boat, and now you got 12 me and 11 other homeboys. We're going to die in the home. Huh? See, people who operate from fear have little faith. What does Jesus say? Jesus, don't you care about me? Jesus didn't even respond to them. What do you mean, don't I care about you? That's like a dumb thing. That Jesus don't care about them. He says, you guys, these are, his, these are the guys he picked. You guys, my disciples, why are you guys so afraid? See, he had to build a ministry, and he had a bunch of cowards. So he had to get the Shirley Temple out of them. Get all that sissified, limp-wristed light on your loafer walk, and I got to turn you into some men. Get in the boat. Let me see what you're made of. You, you act bad, on, all right? You talk bad. I've been saved. I pray. I could do this. Let me, let me, let me put you through a storm and see what you're made out of. Yeah. Now they're in a storm with Jesus. Don't you care about me? He said, what are you afraid of? If I, if I was there, I'd say, oh, you big sissy. I wasn't there, though. Then he looked at the winds and rebuked the winds. Peace, be still. Why? He had to show him them that, our, that when you have faith in Christ, ultimately it will be our walk with the Holy Spirit now, but when you have faith, even the storms will listen to you. See, but most people don't come from church membership to discipleship because they don't have that ability to calm the storms of their life. They allow the storms of their life to overwhelm them. And why? It's because of, of fear. Not a lack of faith. It's because they have too much fear. See, they have just enough faith to get them to church, but not enough faith to make them do and walk into the miraculous. See, the miraculous are not just meant for those special individuals. They're meant for everybody. But everybody to get into that miraculous field has to learn to face great amounts of fear. Look fear in the eye and say, you're a punk. That's what you got to do. Uh, so you must know one thing. Followers of Jesus will face times of great fear. Jesus will be in the boat. But fear will grip you. Oh, I've been there. Fear will grip you. And you'll talk, you'll talk faith, but you'll be afraid. The issue is not that you have fear, because we all do. The issue is, does the fear stop you, or does it move you? Does it move you? Huh? Does it move you towards it? See, when I've learned that when I become afraid of something, I walk right to it. I got, I got to go at it. I got to see the fear in the eye. I got to know where it's coming from. Because fear will come without warning, furious, and sweeping. It'll come. Will Jesus say to you, you of little faith, what are you afraid of? See, we've got to understand, don't we follow the creator of the heavens and the earth? If we do indeed follow the creator of the heaven and earth, what can harm us? I mean, we're going to have fear, but what can really harm us? Nothing. Nothing. 
See, if we don't allow, or rather, if we don't understand and put fear to its proper perspective and use it as a motivator, fear gives room to Satan. And Satan's work is to plant doubt. Plant doubt. He's a farmer. He's always planting doubt. Planting little questions. Why do you think he did this? Or what's happening here? Do you think that's right? I wouldn't listen. Why? Because it's not the doubt. Because there's a fear of the call of God on people's lives to step out. Or they want to get saved and go to heaven. But they don't want to step out and do something for God. Why? It's fear. And I'm here to curse that fear. Because you are greater than that. You are more than that. There is more to your life than just living and being a good person. There's more to you. No, but he always plans doubt. Question God's plan personally. Question God's plan corporately. It will never change. It's always the same tactic. In the garden in Genesis 3 4, the serpent said to the woman, you won't really die. For God knows that if you eat that, you're just going to understand things better and you'll be more like God, knowing good and evil. Doubt. Huh? See, doubting fields are, are I, I look at them in three stages. It's the, I'm, am I saved? Am I called? And is it worth it? See, we have to get past these doubting stages. Am I saved? Hopefully. If you, have, if you doubt it right now, you better get saved before you leave. Am I called? Yes, you are. Everyone's called. We're not just called to, to get up in the morning and, and go to work and, and do a 9 to 5 or an 8 to 4, whatever you want. That, that's not your calling. That's something we do. That's not a calling. That's a waste of time. No, we're called. Every one of you. If you just met Jesus today, you have a call. That's why you met him. If you met Jesus 20 years ago, you have a call. That's why he met, you met him. That's why he drew you. There's a calling on our lives. But you got to go through these three areas. And it's not the doubt. The reason people have doubt about the calling, because they're afraid to lose what they have. But, but Jesus... You know, um, foxes have no holes. And you don't have a place to lay your head. Uh, and, uh, right now, man, I got a sort of queen-sized perfect sleeper. So the fear gives room to the doubt. Am I called? Hmm. I don't think this pastor really understands Christianity correctly because uh, not everybody's called. Right? You're called. Don't let fear rule you. Then once you come past it, I'm saved. Well, we're, all, we're all securing our salvation. And then once we get past, I'm called, yay, I'm called. Then the real trouble comes in. Then you go through extra storms because God's got to raise you up and make you strong. He pushes you through things, pushes you through struggles. And then in the middle of the struggle, winds are blowing. <laughs> Your wife burned the beans. <laughs> You're just going through it. Right? Then you got to come to a point. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Everybody's got to figure that one out for themselves. Is it worth it? Don't be afraid, Freddy Cat. Freddy Cat. Is it worth it? See, at these stages, Satan and the world's goal is to stop your progress. If he, if he can stop you, the lowest dominate, the denominator, make you sin and, not, and, and, and ruin your salvation, then he's got you. You're, you're easy. Oh, you're easy, little, little punk. Got him out of the way. Easy one. That was easy. Oh, like, that guy likes to sin so much. He's easy. Once you get past that and you're fighting off sin, 
Then you got to get to, am I called? Now the calling in your life. Now you got to begin to get trained and disciple. And then you get called. He goes, oh, I almost got you there now. Now I got to get you to the, is it worth it part? I beg your pardon. I never promised you a rose garden. He promised, he promised us the garden of Gethsemane, not the rose garden. So we have to be able to press through. If we're going to conquer the world for Jesus Christ, we're not going to take it plain, patty cake, patty cake, baker's man, bake me a cake as fast as you can. It doesn't happen that way. There are demons. When Jesus came to this earth, the Bible says that the world was demon-possessed. Those demons are still here. They might be living in your backyard. They didn't go nowhere. They didn't take a ship, a ship to Mars. They're still here. Jesus just dispersed them and gave us authority over them. So what do they do? They go incognito. They go where they can. They try to infiltrate where they can to mess with your mind. And unless we get the anointing and the power of the Holy Ghost to rebuke it, that's what you need. That's why we come to church. God, you got to give me that anointing. I need that power. I need something more than just Christianity, mere Christianity. I need powerity. That's what I need. That's what you need in this world. In this, look at the spirits that are living now. Where they're fighting over bathrooms. Where, where men one day are women and the next day they're men. They're gender fluid. You think this is normal? The spirits are beginning to manifest themselves. And they're so proud and arrogant, they're not even hiding anymore. <coughs> at least when I was a kid, we had people like that. But they kept it on the down low because we sock them up. You know, back then, before, you see, that's how we just were. That was our generation, right? But now they're everywhere. Well, today I feel like, uh, you know, this, and tomorrow I feel like this. Spirits. So if the church doesn't wake up and start getting some anointing and some power, next thing I know, you're going to go from, from Sally to Sam. Why? Because they're everywhere. They're after your children. Listen, that should get you bad. They're after your grandbabies. And what we're going to do to sit around and let it happen? It, the Bible says uh, the kingdom of God suffers violence, but the violent take it by force. Not the sister fight, the violent take it by force. We got to fight back, church. Huh? We are, if we are followers, is there any followers here? Huh? So the world operates on fear. Name your fear, I'll name your bondage. What are you afraid of? Huh? So I want to reiterate that if you face your fear, you can use it as part of the shaping process. People who stand during the shaping process grow the church. It's like I shared last week, God wants, has to put us in a pit. I, I, that, that acronym, I like that, the word pit. I call that people in training. So you have to have a pit. Right? Everything we face is a training, uh, a part of our training. God put Joseph in a pit to change his plans. God put Daniel in a pit to teach him about his presence. God put Benaniah in a pit to test his courage. Uh, so your plans are changed in the pit. Joseph had big dreams, wanted to do this and do that. And God said, no, 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 no. I, I didn't call you to, to have those dreams and be this and be that. I called you for a different purpose, Joseph. I have a plan for you. And you ain't going to listen to me because you're so proud and arrogant and spoiled brat. I got to throw you in a pit. He threw him in a pit. But he came out, second in command of Pharaoh, under Pharaoh, able to save a people. Why? Because he went through the process. 
You got to go through the process. You can't ignore or neglect the process if you want a calling. If you want to really do what God's called you to do, there's a process. Hmm? What are your plans? So are, are your plans flexible enough for God to change them? Most Christians are not because they have their plans. And, 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 and okay, fine. And most pastors are let it go. Okay, that's cool. And, and I understand that. That's great. But if you have a call of God, you may achieve your plans. But if God's got a call in your life, when you get to the top, you're going to realize your ladder was on the wrong fence. He goes, I'm up here. What did I do? You went on the wrong fence, dude. You followed your plan. Oh, but you did good. Got a nice house, nice car. Yeah, you got a nice dog. Yeah, cool, cool. But that's not, that, 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 you settled for, for less. God would have had more for you. See, Joseph, if he would have settled for his plan, he may have been in charge of his family. He might have even been a politician. But God raised him up to second in command of Pharaoh, all the land, mightiest of mighties. That was God's plan. See, when you follow God's plan, you got to go through his process, not your process. Flexibility. In sports, it's essential. you gotta be, you got to be flexible. In life, you need it. In God's hand, flexibility will keep you from being crushed. Because it's the resistance to God's change that causes pain. It's not the change. If we're flexible, God can move any way we want. Ooh, okay, let's go this way. No problem. Okay, which way? Let's go this way. But if we're not flexible and God says, move this way, you say, no, I don't want to move. But I want you to move. No, no, I'm not moving. This is not God, devil, liar. Now you're fighting God because you're not flexible. No, I don't care. I don't care what Pastor Allen says. It's no. That's between you and him. I'm just trying to hip you, I'm trying to give you a little advice. Huh? The resistance of God's chain causes the pain. Again, the change isn't painful, it's your resistance. God uses Joseph's family to put him in the pit, put him in the pit, sold him to slavery, put him in prison. To use them. See, but God also teaches us God's presence when we go to the pit. When I was in, in the hospital, I was in a pit. I remember telling God, I, I need to do something. You, you got you to do something with me. If you don't do something, I'm in trouble. I don't want to backslide, but I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm heading that way. You got to do something, God. God heard my prayer. Put me in the hospital for 40 days. I almost died. I go, oh, that's heavy, God. I'll never pray that one again. Amen. <laughs> But David's conviction placed him in a pit of the lion's den. There he got to know who God was. Let's look at Genesis, I mean Daniel chapter 6. I'm coming in for landing. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. This is the king. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouth of the lion. They have not hurt me because I, found, I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift out Daniel from the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him. Because, here's the key, because he trusted his God. Imagine Daniel's plight. Like if we were there, now I don't know how Daniel was there, but if I was there, I'm saying, man... I'm going to become lunch right now. I'm going to change my name to Albert Lunch Loma because this lion is going to do me in. Right? We're getting ready to die. But he wanted to serve God. He said, well, serve God, live, 
or serve God. Live, you know, live life is a pretty good move. You know, I want to stay alive or serve God. This guy said, I, I'm, I'd rather die. I'm going to have to serve God. He chose serving God over life. Over life. Why? Because God wanted to take him to another level of his presence. This man's faith caused him to jump in the pit. What would we do? In this pit, Daniel faced his fear. Here is the pit of conviction at its highest test. Oh, you want to serve God? You think you're holy? You think you got it together? Let's see. Here, the pit. In this unfair situation, God was with Daniel. Because Daniel did no wrong. It was a setup. He was set up to die. He did no wrong, but God used it. As I close, the third courage tested in the pit is Benaiah. Benaiah was a man of valor. He was a man of conviction. 2 Samuel 23, 20. Benaiah, son of Jodiah, was a valiant fighter from Kazbiel who performed great exploit. He struck down two of Moab's best men. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed the lion. Now here's Daniel, had no weapon. He just, he just sat there and made friends with the lion. I can imagine, here, kitty, kitty. Because he had nothing. But Benaiah was a little different. He sees the lion. He got us. I think it was up in Boulder. Remember? Did you guys read about that? I got, the Spirit of God had to come on that dude. He, I, there's something. Because it said that the lion came at him. And, 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 and it, the news report said the guy choked the lion out. Mountain lion. He choked the mountain lion out. He must have been an MMA fighter. Oh, tap out. Right? Well, Benaiah, seen the lion, was putting, bringing fear to a town, bringing fear to a people. And see, that's what the enemy does. He brings fear to a people. And Benaiah said, enough of this fear. Where's this lion at? And he found the lion, he seated in the pit, and he jumped in with it. See, Daniel's faith allowed God to shut the lion's mouth, but Benaiah's faith gave him the strength to kill the lion. Now, I admire Daniel's faith, but I desire Benaiah's. Why? Because Benaiah was a warrior. Benaiah was a fighter. Benaiah didn't take no. He understood that God's got, got a call in my life, and we're going to do this no matter what happens. Que venga, que venga, come what may. I'm going to do what God's called me to do. I'm not, no matter I may have stumbled, I may have failed, but I'm going to get back up, dust, take the dust off of me, and I'm going to go forward, and I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight, and I'm going to fight. And when I'm done fighting, I'm going to fight some more. That's what faith will do. Benaiah in that pit, Benaiah faced his fear. He chose to fight the lion. When others run, a warrior overcomes his fears by fighting. And Victory Outreach is full of warriors. I mean, Victory Outreach is full of warriors. Because it takes warriors to do with the kind of things that we're doing. It takes warriors to face the spirits that we face. We're, we're facing spirits of murder. We're facing spirits of heroin. We're, we're facing spirits of methadone, homosexuality. We're facing ugly spirits. But you know what we say when we see those spirits? Come here, punk. 
Because that's who we are. We're victory outreach. We're going to go after them. And we can never forget who we are. That's what birthed us in 1967. We were going to go into the inner cities, into the ghetto, when nobody else did. Now it's, it's avant-garde. Oh, we have an outreach ministry. Well, good for you. Well, we were there from the beginning when no one else wanted to do it. And God has expanded us. Now we go all over the world to places that no one else wants to go. We're there. Why? Because that's who we are. Huh? We allow these, these fears. We conquer these fears. So do not be afraid of, of fear, even though that fear may give you a temporary setback. Fear fades as soon as you attempt success again. Ooh. Fear fades as soon as you attempt to be successful again. They fade away. It's when you stop that fear becomes more, more and more dominant because all you think about is the fear, the failure and all that stuff. But as soon as you step out and do it again, you forget about that one. You know why? Because you ain't got time for that one. You have a new challenge. Don't let the fear stop you. That fear will make you better. Huh? Fear. Face your fear. Instead of life or have a life spent thinking, what if? What if I would have tried? What if I, what if I would have answered the call? What if I would have went? What if? What a, what a life to live. A, a life of what if? Huh? No, you're called. So your discovery is, is no more frightening. God's call. We say this again. The line that you might have to face, the struggle you might have to go through, that calling that God has for you, and the fear that you have is no more frightening than, than that imaginary monster in the closet with the lights off. It isn't. Because as soon as God anoints you, boom, the light comes on. And you go, all of a sudden, Goliath becomes a midget. Where's that little shrimp? He looked like a giant from a mile away, but when I walk up, he's about two feet tall. Little, Get out of here, Goliath. Huh? Exodus 18.21. Why am I talking about this? Because we need to grow this church. And see, the formula is right here. Select capable men from all of the people, men who are for God, trustworthy, who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Now, we haven't got to thousands yet, but I need men who fear God, who understand what resources are used for, and they need to take their place over tens. They need, and when I say men, women too, this is a victory. When we do it, we do it man and woman. My wife is called, you're called. And we need men and women who we, we could put over 10s and then put another one over 20s, over 50s. Why? So that we can grow this thing. So that we can plant 30 churches in Asia. So we can do our part for Pastor Sonny's vision, reaching every inner city of the world. That's what we have to do. That's the calling of this house. It's not just a church. We have a mission. We have a goal. We have a vision. We have a calling. And if you're hearing my voice, you're called. You're a part of this. So we need them. Because a church grows when its members face their fears. 
I want every head bowed and every eye closed.